0: Do you know how Black Friday got its name? I was thinking about this preparing for this message because the topic we're dealing with today in our final message in this short series in the book of Proverbs called Wisdom in Dizzying Times is called Contentment in a World of Consumption. So it's really about consumerism. And it's just fascinating to me that this got placed right after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and now a message on contentment in consumerism. And I was thinking to myself, how did Black Friday get its name? Because it's a really interesting statement, Black Friday. You don't connotate the color black with great things or with Christmas, right? That's like Good Friday is black. Black Friday is the name given to the shopping day after Thanksgiving. It was originally called Black Friday because so many people went out to shop that it caused traffic accidents and sometimes violence. The Philadelphia Police Department were the first to coin the phrase Black Friday to describe the mayhem surrounding the congestion of pedestrian auto traffic and the downtown area. We just decided to keep it. (laughs) Black Friday, plaster it everywhere. It's really interesting how often Times the foolishness and the darkness of our world is plastered in front of our face all the time, and yet we miss it. And we presume that we are the ones immune to its effects, immune to the effects of this being plastered everywhere. Good Friday, these pictures of people grasping and willing to push everybody else out of the way in order to grasp and get what they ultimately want. That word ultimately is used very intentionally. The author of the book of Proverbs and the author of Proverbs 30 knew fundamentally about the blackness of this word Jesus uses called mammon, the blackness Of stuff that's untethered to God. The author of Proverbs knew the blackness, the darkness, the violence, the congestion, the grasping of stuff untethered to God. Hear that, because stuff in and of itself is not bad, but untethered to God. It's idolatrous, which means it's incredibly destructive, The author of this proverb says, poverty, I might steal. Riches, I might forget you. It's a prayer. Read this in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. The author of the book of Proverbs says this, there's two things I ask of you, Lord. So you see that it's a prayer. Do not refuse me before I die these two things. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Here's where he says why. Give me neither poverty or riches, otherwise I may have too much and disown you. Other translations say forget you and say who is the Lord, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Let's leave that section up there right now. Poverty, I might steal. Riches, I might forget you. Poverty seems fairly obvious. Why is it that poor people might steal? Well, they'd steal for their basic necessities. Right? Poverty's hard. People that are truly poor will say to you, we didn't know how we were gonna get the next drink. We don't know how we're gonna get the next meal on the table. Poverty is deeply, deeply challenging. And the author of this proverb, the wisdom writer, says, I know that. Lord, give me not poverty, because I don't trust myself enough to still obey your law. This fundamental law that's throughout all the scriptures of don't take what's not yours. Thou shalt not steal. I don't trust myself. Lord, if I get in that part, I think I would be so needy, I might steal. Poverty's hard. There are many people who speak about the hardship of poverty, not the least of which is God himself in the scriptures. But how many of you are 90s, early 90s rock fans? There'll be more hands that go up at 9 and 11, I promise. But in the early 90s, there were two, one very famous rock band in the 90s called Pearl Jam. There was another one in the early 90s that was also out of Seattle called Soundgarden. They had one album album where a few of them came together and they created a band called Temple of the Dog. You guys have all heard of it, right? (laughs) People are like, what? That just sounds weird, right? That's got to be that heavy metal, crazy stuff. But there was a song that they did together called Hunger Strike. And in this song, they started the song off and it said this, I don't mind stealing bread from the mouth of decadence. It's like a Robin Hood statement, right? I don't mind stealing bread from the mouth of decadence. But then the authors of this song say this, I can't feed on the powerless when my cup is already overfilled. Now here's why this is so important to understand when we talk about poverty. When God talks about consuming goods, which he does talk about, in fact, he made us so, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but every time he talks about consuming goods, it's always directly related to love of him and love of our neighbor, that goods and stuff untethered from God become all about self-absorption and the consequences fall upon you, the consumer, and your neighbor, The consequences are in turn catastrophic when goods or stuff or products are consumed without an eye to God and without an eye to our neighbor. God all throughout the Bible shows himself and manifests himself everywhere. This is why the psalmist says and can say, the heavens declare the glory of God. And Paul can say about creation, that creation's speaking out the glory of God. And creation, understand this, is not just the trees and the ground and the sunsets, which it is, but creation's everything God made. So in every human face, in every human interaction, in every human movement, in all of the stuff that we created, including brands and advertising, God is speaking to us. It's not saying it's all bad, but when it's untethered from God, there's a problem. God's manifest in everyday life. Therefore, he's manifest in history. Everything we watch, he's manifesting himself. So let me just take you on a little historical journey for a minute. When it comes to goods, these things that we consume, in classic philosophy, not trying to take you back to school if you're like, God, oh, I thought I got out of philosophy, right? In classic philosophy, economic questions, the question of how people interact together in regards to money and how we live together in all of our exchange of goods, in classic philosophy, economic questions were inescapably moral questions. So let me just stop and make this statement briefly the economy is all about god because all of life is all for jesus not just for christians this is our father's world right? many of you have sang that hymn everything is about god john calvin in herman Bavink, herman Bavink quoting john calvin speaks about that there isn't one atom of the universe that doesn't have some sparks of the brilliance of God's glory. The economy is all about God. Human life is all about God. Therefore, even classic philosophy knew that economic questions were inescapably moral questions. What we do with our stuff, money included, is a question of morality. The focus in history in Rome, in Athens, in Judaism was fundamentally built around liberality, generosity, and public spirited generosity, that this is about what we give to the whole. So if you remember, which many of you may not, the good citizen in Athens is spoken of in viewing his riches in light of the polis. The word polis, that's where we get the word politics, means the city. He viewed his stuff in relation to the good of the city. In Athens, the Greeks. The prosperous Roman was expected to use his wealth for the good of the republic, the good of the community. Think about it this way. Even down to the Jews, there was a year of jubilee, right, that said the whole, what we're a part of, is always bigger than the part we play. And the warning throughout Old and New Testament and throughout history is that when we grasp for ourselves, we in the end reap the consequences. What we sow, we will also reap. If we sow selfishness, then everybody else will be selfish, and we in the end will reap negative consequences, both in our joy and in our Reality. God didn't design a world to be obsessed with self. Sin did that. I've said this from this pulpit before, but Saint Augustine, I'm not trying to give you too big of a history lesson, but this is really important, defined sin as a radical curvature inward. The result of sin being a radical curvature inward is all of a sudden this word mine is all over us all the time. And we think that saying mine, grasping is in fact what will bring us joy. But Jesus comes along and he says, don't ever forget that you will be happier in giving than you will be in receiving. You will be happier in giving than you will be in receiving because God made a world in which we were consistently and continually to be vertically connected to God and horizontally connected to our neighbors. Sin broke that. It broke our vertical connection to God and therefore our horizontal connected to our neighbor. And again, the consequences have been catastrophic. So, Let's do this, we're talking about consumerism, let's talk about us as consumers for a minute, because I don't want us for a second in a world of consumption that is idolatrous, by which I mean negative and catastrophic. Bad is the simple word. I don't want us for a minute to think consuming is bad. God made us consumers. If you think about the five senses, right? Those who can see consume sights. Those who can feel consume touch. There's moments I'll lean forward and my wife will put her hand on my back and rub my back and I'm like, that's nice. I consume touch and it's a good thing. God made us in such a way to feel a back rub in a good way this is good. Taste rejoices the soul. That which we drink, that which we eat is a gift of God. And if we ever forget that these are gifts of God is when we will ultimately distort them. Right? The smells that we have in our five senses are consuming. We consume oxygen we consume food, we consume drink, we consume through our ears conversation. Here's what you have to know. God made us consumers, and it's a good thing. He made us consumers, and then he finished and said, everything I've made is good. But our consumption was dependent upon other people. Consuming is good, consumerism is bad. In the history of the church, specifically in the history of Christianity, that comes a lot of the Dutch tradition, in fact, there were these isms that any word you have is good, material is good, material ism is when we make material things ultimate things. That's bad. Consuming is good, but consumer ism, the isms, are idolatrous. I've used that word a few times. I want to acknowledge there may be people in this room that go, I don't even know what idolatry is. And maybe if you know, you think about like a totem pole kind of thing and a bunch of people falling down. But Jerry Smith actually gave me one of my favorite definitions of idolatry that I've ever had from a man named David Pallison. I recommended a book of his to you a few weeks ago. And David Pallison says this via Jerry Smith to me. He says, that idolatry is whatever has functional control of our lives at any given moment. Whatever has functional control. So, Black Friday, when your computers are open and you're trying to get the Black Friday deals, or you're storming the gates of Walmart and you're grasping at that moment, if you stopped and went, What has functional control of my life? This stuff. Getting good deals. Romans 1 has one of the best definitions of sin I think there is. Romans 1.25 says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Paul doesn't say that the created things are bad. In fact, God himself said they were good. But when we bow to them and worship them, when they're the things that have functional control of our lives, that's... Sin, and sin is destructive. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount warned about mammon, about stuff. He didn't say it's evil. He said, in fact, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is Matthew 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me just stop. Whatever has functional control of your life, you're treasuring something in your heart's there. That's why it has functional control. The store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Only one. You can only have one master. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and stuff. You can't serve both God and stuff. That's why the author of the Proverbs says, otherwise, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches because I'll worship stuff either way. I don't want to forget you, God. Here's the other thing. Many of us can hear so many messages from a pulpit or read so many things in the Bible and then presume this is a great word for everybody else. You know who? isn't duped by that this is a great word for everybody else, is the person sitting next to you going, no, this is a great word for you. (laughs) People that you live around consistently help you with this. This is why the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter three, verse 13, says don't forsake meeting together, be with each other lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." Let me allow you to answer this in your head for a minute. What's deceit? It's a lie, right? It's telling you something that doesn't deliver. I always like to say this, that sin doesn't just over-promise and under-deliver. Sin over-promises and counter-delivers. It doesn't just give you less than what you ultimately thought. These things you bought on Black Friday that you thought, this is going to make my life more convenient. It's going to make it more secure. It's going to make it better. It doesn't just under-deliver. These products don't just not do what you think they're going to do. But in fact, they end up counter-delivering because you lose hope and you get cynical. And you think, eh, this is all a bunch of trash anymore. And so then you just keep buying more. There's got to be more. The heart's deceitful. Jeremiah says this about the heart. Jeremiah says it in such a way that he says this, and hear me on this, everybody look at me. The prophet Jeremiah says, there's nobody who can dupe you like you can dupe you. That's why he says the heart's deceitful and desperately sick. There's nobody who can dupe you like you can dupe you. So if you presume all of these advertisements, all of these things, all of these promises that they're going to bring about happiness... If you think, well, that doesn't affect me, I'm not that stupid. Jeremiah says, oh, yes, you are. (laughs) Oh, yes, in fact, you are. Consumerism is grasping for well beyond what the Lord has given or being unaware of what the Lord has given. You see this? Consumerism is grasping for way beyond what God has given or utterly forgetting what he has given. It's a lack of gratitude. It's assuming also that if you made it, you earned it, it's yours. Let me just say this real quickly. Those of us who say, but I made it. I earned it. I did this. Well, let me just ask you this. Who gave you the mind and the arms and the opportunities and the environment to know how to work hard? Was that you? This is why Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. And then Paul says, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't? It's not ours. It's all the Lord's. Grasping is greedy. God is consistently saying, hold what you've been given with an open hand. For not even Jesus himself, who was God, presumed that he could grasp at equality with God. This is what Philippians says. For not even he counted equality with God as a thing to be grasped. And folks, he was God. This is what God has given and he's given to us to serve and love our neighbors. But we live in a society that is dehumanizing us. We live in a society that is turning us ultimately into consumers. It's about what you buy. It's about what you have. It's about how you compare to your neighbors. And this is why so many of us all the time spend so much of our time thinking, if only I had, whatever it is, fill in the gap, a better job. This stuff, different relationships, a different marriage. This is a great uh, quote by Oscar Wilde. He says this. We know the price of everything and the value of nothing. This is why it's so important for you to understand that the things that God made have intrinsic value in and of themselves. This is why it's so important that you understand God is in the midst of everything. That if you lose that, you turn everything into just a thing and it loses all of its sacredness. Its sacredness to satisfy and its sacredness to serve. We know the price of everything. This is the statement that should be stamped on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We know the price of everything, the value of nothing. This is an amazing thing to just open your eyes to the way in which um, marketers are thinking about you. David Lubars is a senior ad executive in the Omnicom group who teaches people how to sell things. And he says this, just let this ring in your face. Consumers are like roaches. You spray them and spray them, and they become immune after a while. The only answer is to spray them some more. This is the world we live in. We're turning everything into commodities, including people. We turn money into a commodity when, in fact, it was meant to create a serving society. We create sports into idolatry, an ultimate thing a commodity, we turn art into a commodity, we've turned sex into a commodity, which is why people can just seek their gratification in sport or sex with no thought about our neighbor and what's in the wake of this reality. People, real human lives, destroyed, no longer able to sleep at night because of the way people have treated them like things rather than like people. And who are some of the people that can't sleep? Not just the people who've had it done to them, but you and I who've done it to them. doesn't just dehumanize them. It dehumanizes us. We've done it with church. With church. Which church is going to give me the best religious goods and services? And if not, out of sight, out of mind, on to the next one that which God designed to be a covenant community in the way of marriage, that in a very real way, church is meant to be a place where you make sacred vows just like you would in marriage. Read Ephesians 5 if you think I'm kidding. This mystery is profound. I'm speaking about Christ and the church, and we've turned it into a marketplace mall of consumption, not a covenant community. We grasp And in turn, we forget God, Proverbs 30, verse 8. There's a battle for our loves and worship. And if God gets untethered from our stuff, there's a huge problem. So what's the answer to this? Jesus made it real simple. Love God and love neighbor in everything we do and with everything we have. Love God and love neighbor. Here's something I say to the redemption staff at large multiple times a year. There's a threefold, three points is another way to say that, reality of the way the people of God were meant to live in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it revolves around these three things, gift, gratitude, and generosity. If you're a note taker, write these down, gift, gratitude, and generosity. Here's the first thing, God has given generously to us. God has given generously. James 1.17 says that every good and precious gift comes down from the Father of lights. These are gifts that are very good. And if you don't see the intrinsic goodness in the gifts God's given you, in your car, in your bathroom, right, in your home, in your relationships, in the job you have, in fact, even sometimes in what you don't have, right? Remember Garth Brooks's song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, right? These things are gifts and you've got to see the goodness in them and you've got to see that we have them because of the generosity of God, namely and most importantly in his son Jesus, who he gave for the life of the world. It's the first part of the worldview of the people of God. Those who follow God, who don't forget God, know God has given, is giving, and will forever give generously. Therefore, what's the response of the people of God? Gratitude, thanksgiving, consumerism. The fact that Black Friday follows the day after Thanksgiving is either the direct result of Satan or the irony and laughing of God. Like, are you kidding me? You spend a day in which you're meant to give thanks and then the next day is about grasping? Gratitude is the greatest medicine against consumerism. Thank God for that which you have. The key to life and joy is wanting what you actually have. Recognizing what you ultimately have. Thanking God for it and thanking people for it. Gift, gratitude is number two. Thanksgiving, and then what does Thanksgiving always result in? Generosity, always. You hold it with an open hand. It's been given to me, I am blessed to be a blessing. I've been given to so that I might give. That God who promised that his utmost desire was to give us life and give it to the full says a huge part of you and I experiencing the abundant life is to remember his words. It is more blessed. You will be happier in giving than you ever will be in receiving. So here's where we end. Receive from God the goodness of what he's given. Be thankful for it and then realize we've been blessed to be a blessing, to be a generous people. In a world of consumption, that level of contentment and generosity will scream the goodness of this God who's continually giving us good things. Let's pray. Father, we uh, love you, and I pray that you might free us from this sickness of consumerism, God, would you make us at Redemption Gilbert a people who know the goodness of the things that surround us all the time? Who taste food and drink is sweeter than most people. Who know the value of relationships more powerfully than other people. God, who understand the purpose of money is not to get more for ourselves, but to have an opportunity to truly love our neighbors. Would you make us those kind of people? Free us from grasping it wouldn't hurt so bad when things are taken away from us. God, make us people who worship you and only you because there's only one master that we can have. Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd make it Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.